WMC HD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston, and on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. What are ghosts, really? What happens when you encounter your own ancestors? Why are some houses quote-unquote haunted and some not? Well, hello there, and welcome to the 354th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and asking those questions, or is my or those thought-provoking questions, rather, is my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. With us once again today is one of our most popular guests, and certainly one of my dearest friends, Murray Silver. Murray is a fifth-generation son of Savannah, Georgia. He not only has been a Washington insider and Hollywood insider for many years, he is one of America's most respected paranormal investigators. A host of the PBS television series Haunted South, Murray is the acclaimed author of the book Great Balls of Fire, the uncensored story of Jerry Lee Lewis, which was made into the movie of that name starring Dennis Quaid and Winona Ryder. He is the author of a number of other books, including his memoirs, When Elvis Meets the Dalai Lama whom he used to work for, believe it or not, the Dalai Lama, not Elvis, and Behind the Moss Curtain, a collection of true paranormal stories about Savannah, Georgia. Murray worked in the late 1960s as a promoter for rock bands like Fleetwood Mac, Grateful Dead, the Allman Brothers, and others. While going to law school, he transitioned from promoter to journalist in the 70s and 80s, touring with acts such as Pink Floyd, Paul McCartney, Bob Dylan, Elton John, and Peter Gabriel. On top of all that, Murray is also a publisher and a television producer with his own media company. He became a paranormal researcher and historian of great insight and depth. His, his website, uh, at least last I looked, is www.bonaventurebooks.com. That's Bonaventure with two T's, books.com. So, so, Murray Silver, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Ben, it's always nice to hear from you guys, and happy Father's Day to you, Paul. Well, thank you, and it's certainly happy Father's Day to everyone who's listening. Uh, as you would say, Murray, to whom uh, to whomever that applies. Okay, uh, those in spirit as as well as those in the flesh. I know it seems like it's been forever since you've been on here, but you've uh, been with us many times over the past five years. But we've really never had a chance to talk about your own experience with uh, ghosts, so to speak. And uh, you've mentioned encountering some uh, of your own ancestors in Savannah. Uh, what was that all about? Well, before I tell you about what goes on around my house on any given day, allow me to tell you why I care about it in the first place and why I spend so much time trying to understand it. Now, I am 58 years old, and at a time in my life when most people are planning for retirement, in studying death and the afterlife, I am planning for the ultimate retirement, because I'm going to be dead a whole lot longer than I'm going to be retired, and I want to be as comfortable in death as I am in life. Um, I live in a house that was left to me by my great-grandmother, and I'm speaking to you from that room in the house where my grandfather spent the last night of his life before taking his life back in 1963. My family... Uh, continues to own this house. I continue to live here because I came back home to this house after having been away 35 years because there was some unresolved business that I had to uh, I had to return to this place in order to bring to completion. 
But these days, the problem I have is that science isn't helping me very much. I have noticed um, recently that the medical community started out, well, actually a couple of years ago, to make a serious study of near-death experience, which has resulted in an explanation of the condition in medical terms so stark as to eradicate all elements of the paranormal and supernatural and spiritual from the death process by writing off the white light phenomena as a neurological response akin to the test pattern of a TV screen when it's lost a signal. Uh, they say the power is on, but the messages are coming through, and normal channels have ceased to operate, and the cable guy, who in this case is the doctor, is trying to restore service. So to the spiritual, though, among us, and to those of us who have actually experienced uh, the white light phenomena, either in the meditative state or during a near-death experience, uh, the white light is perceived by the mind as the end of conceptuality, but it is not the end of the line. Uh, that famous white light dissolves into red, which dissolves into black, and it's at this point that the moment of death actually occurs, but that isn't necessarily the end of the line either. Uh, eventually the black clears away, leaving a totally clear emptiness, which is the end and the true nature of reality. And if you can grasp this concept, gentlemen, in some circles that automatically makes you a Buddha or an awakened one. So I'm concerned about what happens next. But uh, the, the point is this. Science is of the opinion that there is no afterlife simply because we cannot see it from this perspective. And my friends, the scientists, always requires some sort of evidence and proof to believe anything. But here, in my opinion, is where science always falls woefully short, because it is my belief that just because something cannot be seen doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And there are many things in this world we know exist that cannot be seen with the naked eye, and the afterlife is one of them. So the, the scientific picture of the real world is filled with facts about experiences, uh, and it's a magnificently consistent order, but science is silent on pain and pleasure and beauty and good and bad and God and eternity. And love. And the, pursuit, the pursuit of science simply leads to a religious feeling of a special sort, which is quite different from religion. Uh, spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe, and science is a powerful way to study the natural world, but it's not particularly effective in studying the supernatural world. And in my opinion, to bring this to conclusion, both worlds are quite real, but they are investigated in different ways, and they coexist in a way that so as to illuminate each other. So that's my point of view, but I'm not getting much help from science these days, so I have to be very careful. All right, that, that actually kind of brings up a question with me, which is, um, do you feel like in the future, there maybe near future, that mainstream science might meld with a spiritual approach, or do you think they're just completely separate things that will never meld together? Well, as I say, the, the thing is, if you look at science, there, there is a certain spirit. It's almost it's like, a, you know, scientists approach what they do with a, with a religious fervor that's as strong as any other discipline. Mm -hmm. um, in, in fact, science becomes the religion of the scientist. I've got a my father-in-law, for example, is a world-class mathematician who holds several doctorates. He is the man who started Brazil's space program. And, and some of his theorems are engraved on the walls at Caltech. He's in the Experimental Pilot Hall of Fame 
and he's not giving to he's not given to fancy. This is a guy who everything to him is provable, and and his chosen uh, method is math, and yet he is the person who's helped me understand, especially from the the point of view of the physicist. He's helped me understand things that my research um, has has revealed, and that he interprets in quite a different way. So, I am trying to create a middle ground where people of all disciplines can can chime in on what they believe spirit is and what it isn't and how that affects me and you. And not only do I consult um, physicists, but I consult doctors and uh, nurses that attend the dying and the dead, and I consult with um, psychiatrists and psychologists because for a long time it was thought that if you saw a ghost that there was something mentally wrong with you, and I even consult with ophthalmologists to understand how vision works, because one of the questions that we're, that's always being asked is, well, if I see ghosts and you don't, uh, what's wrong with me or what's wrong with you? So, so even the ophthalmologist has an opinion on why some people see ghosts and why others don't. So to answer your question, Ben, I am trying to establish that middle ground where everybody can, can chip in their two cents from their perspective so that we can finally define what a ghost is simply by corralling it in from all of these different perspectives. Well, one of the issues is that, that I'm always harping on this is that science is not quite up to the job of defining reality. That's Why? True. Because it is entirely based on a, I think, what is now a discredited scientific materialist view of the world. In other words, science, uh, in the broad, you know, in in the mainstream sense, will build you a highway or build you a house or get you to the moon, but it will not define reality. It will not define, you know, who we are, why we need houses, you know, things of that kind. It, it, it's it's not up to the job, uh, and the scientific method is based entirely on the assumption. And I'm always going out about assumptions both inside and outside of the paranormal, things we think we know but we really don't, right. that everything is matter and all processes come down to the, in, to the interaction of matter with other matter because energy comes in there as a tool of matter almost. And, you know, that nobody, if you really look at it, nobody really believes that anymore, but that, that's what our science is based on. Mathematics, I think, probably has pioneered a new vision or a new path However, its results are interpreted in terms of the spirit, um, material. Um, I'm sorry, scientific materialism. So, would that mean that we need to change the base in order to change well, the outcome? We need to change the whole scientific method, in my opinion. I'm not a scientist. My background's in philosophy and theology, but you know, I mean, what, what talking about you know, the, 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 the cliche outside the box is very apt here. They. And I find that the problem with Western thinking, and I'm sure Maria probably agrees with me, is that it takes things apart rather than put them together, you know, assuming that one can know the whole by knowing its parts. That's rubbish. Eastern thought puts things together, and therefore you can see the big picture at the risk of being simplistic. I mean, you always have to have a certain amount of... Uh, Common sense and analysis and things of this kind, but I mean, you see, what, you, you see, you see what I'm talking about here, Murray. Paul, you make a very important point. But what I am also prepared to do, because science has demanded of me, science has asked me, well, if there's a spirit or a soul, locate it. So what I have had to do is I have actually had to to disassemble the human being in order to find that which I insist 
continues after us and actually leaves the body at death and goes somewhere and does something. That is what science has demanded of me. So at the same time I'm trying to put things together, the only way I was able to get to that conclusion was, in fact, to take them apart. And I am prepared to go through that process and, and, and outline that for you if you think that is of interest to your listeners. Um, it is not all that involved, but it takes me about three or four minutes to run it down. But I can break down the human being and show you exactly what is ghost. Okay, well, let's do that after the break because we're coming right up on the break. Uh, you know, most of the listeners who listen regularly know our point of view, which is entirely different than what, what a ghost is, is, is the, the actual person seen through the veil of time and space uh, interacting sometimes. But maybe we're wrong. I mean, that's my experience for 42 years. But, I mean, I, you can do things wrong for 42 years. And so I, I always am interested, particularly because I respect his intellect so much, listening to Murray's point of view. But it's break time. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal on uh, CBS New Sky Radio, New skyradio.com. We'll be right back with our guest, Marie Silver. Stay with us. So what are you thankful for? The I'm Thankful Network explores the positive. Join host Sue Lundquist Tuesdays at noon Eastern Time. Empowering women, empowering lives. The I'm Thankful Network on New Sky Radio. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, the Dr. Pat Show is alive with a distinctive blend of interviews with a mix of uplifting and intelligent news, educational and practical information. Get in the know. Following Dr. Pat, join host Laura Lee for Laura Lee's Spirit Salon. Contact your dearly departed spirit guides and angels to find answers, closure, guidance, insight, revelations, and prophecy regarding matters of the heart by contacting the other side through acclaimed medium Laura Lee. You are not alone. Batter up. Life's a game. Win. Call and get advice from today's top coaches that are here to help you win the game of life. The Coach Me Network is live starting at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. NewSkyRadio. NewSkyRadio.com. New Horizons. No Boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com.
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. And we are back with our esteemed guest, and our certainly our very good friend, Murray Silver, paranormal researcher and renaissance man. And Murray was just about to uh, give us his, his uh, outline of what ghosts, uh, ghosts are. Please go ahead, Murray. Right, so, well, it's important that I tell the, the listener that the one thing that I'm, I have always been asked is, you know, aside from the ghost stories, and, and I could tell them all day long, people don't know, well, what is a ghost? Because that has always been science's conflict, is coming up with a working definition that explains the who, what, where, where, when, how of the ghost. So I want to briefly run down uh, for your listener exactly what it is that I mean when I say ghost, mm-hmm. so that we will have a meeting of the minds here. Now, whereas science is of the opinion that there is no afterlife simply because it can't be seen or located, we can, however, observe when consciousness leaves the body because there are external signs. Ask any doctor or nurse, they'll tell you what they are. So if consciousness is not in the body, then it is separate from the body. Our physical body, therefore, is kind of like a a rented house. And when it is no longer fit for habitation, spirit moves out. So consciousness inhabits the body, but spirit is not the body itself. They are two different entities. It is my body, but I am not the body. And if you start thinking along these lines, it is possible to understand that there is a separation of body and spirit. I think everyone accepts that, regardless of what your religion is. I don't think so, but go ahead. Well, for the sake of this argument, please let's hope. But. In any event, um, to me, death is simply the separation of consciousness and physical body. Consciousness needs the body in order to proceed along the spiritual path, for it is only in the body that spirit, uh, spirit makes any progress. Once consciousness leaves the body, all progress along the spiritual path ceases, just like the rest of life. And consciousness has to find a new identity in order to continue on its path toward perfection. So death is a separation, but it's not the end. And if you will agree up, uh, with me up to this point, then we can proceed one step further and realize that few of us get to the end of the spiritual path in one go-round, and reincarnation becomes a necessity if we are to reach it. So we can clearly see there's a consciousness. The question is, what is it, and where does it go from here? Now, in order to understand consciousness, it, it is to understand how the human being is put together in the womb. Give me one moment to illustrate. Sure. The, the mother seed and father seed unite, which gives rise to form. And as this form solidifies over a nine-month period, it gains physical feeling. And from this feeling arises perception, which is also known as insight, which can be defined as the ability to discern the nature of a situation the ability to see inwardly as opposed to using the eyes to see externally. And this perception gives rise to emotions as we react to that which we perceive as either a good thing or a bad thing. And it is at this point where we run off the spiritual track. Emotions are a defilement of the spirit that deludes us into thinking that we are separate and apart from everything else and all others, that we are individual and special, 
a concept that is drilled into us on the first day of preschool and hammered into us by the system until we graduate from the state-run high school, and we are told that we have rights and such, uh, we are further deluded into believing in one's own self and possessions as I and mine. And, and this particular feeling is referred to as the phenomena of mind, attachment, and aversion. And this misconception becomes the source of pride, arrogance, and this concrete sense of self, all of which leads to that wrong view of reality that you were speaking of, Paul, and also it leads to the endless cycle of rebirth. So therefore, consciousness is the end result of the process of taking human life after form, feeling, perception, and emotion has come together. However, consciousness is not a single thing, but is actually comprised of the self and the spirit and the ego. Now follow me now, because this is where it all comes together to make one very important point. When self, spirit, and ego meet, and this is a physical thing, when self, spirit, and ego meet, they create an electric impulse in the physical body that gives rise to desire of every kind, be it mental, physical, emotional, or spiritual, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And this desire is what creates the conflict between spirit and body. And spirit comes to understand that it is a prisoner of the body and looks for an exit when the body can no longer support it or take it where it needs to go. Thus, we are literally at war with ourselves, and that basic feeling of discontent from the most simple instances of restlessness to the desperation of suicide is proof of this condition and the source of all of life's conflicts. So, as all religions instruct, we must overcome desire in order to gain heaven and ultimately put an end to the endless cycle of uh, rebirth. So, therefore, desire is the root cause of this suffering, and left unsatisfied, gentlemen, desire creates the condition commonly known as ghost. When you see ghost, what you are seeing is what happens when consciousness leaves the body and it is clouded by ego and a desire which cannot be filled. Because once it's out of the body, it has no way to fill it. So what you're looking at, this consciousness is the combination of self, spirit, and ego, and it is driven by desire to be here. That's what I mean when I talk about ghosts. That's what it is. That's how it is located in the physical body. That is what ghost is. Okay, let me ask you. Okay, I understand what you're saying. Um, it is, as, every, as with everything you say, very articulately and brilliantly put. But let me ask you a few questions. Because okay. my... my my uh, points of view, and again, if I can speak for Ben, I think his two come out of our experience right. with ghosts. Okay, right. uh, from your point of view, how would you explain a person who is a living ghost? In other words, who, who is who is somewhere else, and all of a sudden they run into somebody whose whose house they're haunting. You're familiar with that story. I mean, that happened. That's happened to me at least once in the, 19, in the 1970s, and, and uh, it was very disconcerting from my own point of view, which had to be changed. The person, person was not dead, but still a ghost. And that, that happens all the time in the, by location or whatever you want to say. How do you explain that from, from your point? Well, Paul, the thing is that uh, spirit takes many forms. Not all of it is ghost. And certainly you know better than, than most that 
that um, much of what we access when we are doing these investigations, much of it isn't ghost. It may be spirit, it may be demon, it may be parasite, and, and that is the confusing thing because oftentimes we might see something, hear something, but you don't know what it is. And, and the fact that it may look like a ghost or sound like a ghost or do what you think a ghost may be, it may not be ghost at all. In my opinion, ghost has to fill certain conditions in order for it to be ghost. But the thing is, I have, I have seen spirit manifest to where it looks as real as you or me mm-hmm. and has spoken to me. And I have answered it and spoken back to it. And I've also seen those wispy, transparent things and the balls of light that fly around. And I've seen shadows moving against the wall but saw nothing that caused them. Mm -hmm. I've seen faces in the mirrors and I've seen faces in the windows. And I've seen all of these different manifestations, but they do not all qualify as ghosts. Here's the thing. We all have a spirit, but we don't all become ghosts. And that is the difference I would make first and foremost. But spirit um, can inhabit many different forms, and depending on its purpose or its condition, uh, that's how it appears to us. But, but not all of that qualifies as ghost. Ghost, apparently, to me, is typically born out of um, someone who has died in a state of confusion, be it suicide or murder or during an act of war. These people died without having completed the business of their lives. They died in a state of confusion. Some might even argue they're not even aware that they're dead. But the point that I'm making to you is that that most of the situations that I have discovered that involved the appearance of what we refer to as ghosts was tied to the tragic ending of someone's life. And these people died in a state of confusion and therefore do not rest in peace. So that is what I attempt to establish as the as the parameters of what ghost is and what it isn't. Well, the funny thing is, I don't know, you know, 99%, maybe 95% now of, of folks, you know, accept very, very, very clearly what you would say. But that's not how I've experienced it uh, at all. I was, no one was more surprised than I was to find that. I don't know why I don't experience it that way. My first case uh, of an abandoned village, everybody was gone for 150 years, but they were still there. Uh-huh. Uh, I had trouble understanding the physicality of it all. Uh-huh. The uh, clothing, the, the uh, sounds of implements and, and, and uh, livestock, the people talking. I mean, how can you talk if you have no vocal cord? I mean, I, I asked simple questions like that, and, and I began to change my opinion of, at least in my experience, of what ghosts were. But let me, before we even get into that, how would you explain phantom buildings, phantom places, phantom neighborhoods? I've interviewed, you know, at least 80 or 90 people in the past 40 years who have experienced things like that, didn't understand them, were terrified, went to lunch in, 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 a, in, a, in a restaurant that the next day wasn't there. I think the whole town was. I mean, how, how did how does that fit into the scenario, or or is that, as you say, something that's not a ghost? No, that that happened to me on one occasion. In fact, I wrote the story in, in the collection behind the moss curtain. I read, right, on, I read that. Yeah. On on one day, I actually walked into um, the bar and restaurant that my grandfather operated for forty years, which the building was torn down in nineteen sixty three, and it's been a vacant lot ever since. And 
one night in a very thick fog, I was downtown in Savannah and walked into a building that had a very warm and inviting light, and I found myself in the middle of this pool room that I had never seen before but seemed oddly familiar. And um, as it turns out, it was my grandfather's establishment. And um, I, to explain that, I will take a page from one of the people I admire most, who is a forward-thinking uh, gentleman who, who's been investigating the the um, multiverse. Yeah, actually, Murray, I'm going to have to interrupt you there. We'll, we'll, we'll do that right after the break, but we have another hard break coming up. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, and we, you are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com, with our good friend Murray Silver. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Take CBS Radio The Sky with you wherever you go. Be sure to download the Radio.com app today from your mobile marketplace. And when you really want to know more, 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 be sure to visit NewSkyRadio.com. Get in deep with exclusive articles and Sky News. Get your weekly horoscope and the inside scoop on host events. Radio.com and NewSkyRadio.com. Stay connected.
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New SkyRadio.com. And we're back with our esteemed guest, Marie Silver. And Marie and I were talking about, and Ben, of course, we're talking about the nature of, of ghosts. Thanks and, for including uh, me. What? I said thanks for including well, of me. Of course. What's your point of view on all this, Ben? During the break we were doing, we'll talk about again to that too. But uh, what, you operate in different spheres than I do, so to speak, spiritually. Uh, yes and no, but well, I tend I, I tend to just not think about what I do because you know I won't really know for sure. You know, it's yeah, I know. It's you, kind you just of, sort of do it. I see. I, I always think about. Well, it's like looking at the ocean and being like, all right, I know every single thing in here when really you don't. Well, or, yeah, that's yeah, that's true. That's and true. there's no way I could ever know I mean, unless I somehow get a diving suit and hire a whole crew of people, maybe a ship. But even then, I probably still wouldn't be able to find everything. Well, now, Murray, did, did you finish your your what you were saying before the break about uh, before we get into something else uh, about because I was asking about the nature of phantom places and things of this kind, uh, or well, are, you know, are we ready? Yeah, to I I always took a page from your book, Paul, when when you spoke so eloquently about the multiverse, that we don't live in a universe, but we live in a multiverse that I think you once described it as as like um, uh, the uh, soap bubbles in, in the bathtub, right. where they're all they're connected, they bump into each other, and, and instead of living in a universe, we live in a multiverse, which would allow for one reality to break into another like that. Uh, we we have buildings in Savannah certainly that are like that. These old buildings, where where something is going on within the confines of its rooms that happen no place else, as if this is a setting for it, like a stage, and the same play is being enacted every night. And so I've always liked the idea of your concept of the multiverse. And you, but first of all, you were the first person I heard speak of it. And 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 so why don't you give us your take on the multiverse? Well, it's it's just. From experience, as I say, uh, uh, during the break we were talking about when you and I were both at this conference in Tampa, Florida, in '03, and uh, we were it, the conference. Uh, the, the title of it, I believe, was uh, "Beginning Ghost Hunting" or "For Beginning Ghost Hunters." And I, I kind of came down uh, because you, you, uh, you know, we we were all we hadn't known each other yet, but I came down because uh, a mutual friend of ours, Bill Sharp, uh, who had uh, had convinced me to do so, but. Um, we had an audience of what would you say at least generally 100 200 people yeah. in there and uh you and I hit it off right away because uh you know your 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 um the power of your intellect is is overwhelming <laughs> i i really respect that and the odd thing was i didn't believe people should be ghost hunting and people would say well if you could sum up in one word and i said don't yeah you have no yeah. idea what you're dealing with you treat it like bird watching and well, even as, as the postscript to what you're just saying, Paul, the man that hosted us last month committed suicide. And I, I'm not so sure that the things that he had discovered while he was conducting these ghost hunts uh, didn't create uh, the confusion that uh, surrounded him at the end of his life. Terrible. And apparently he had not heeded us when we said that suicide is one of the main causes of 
of the condition of ghost. Maybe he's so enamored of the idea he wanted to become one. But I must, I must tell your listeners that the man who hosted that conference ended his life last month. I rem- it's a terrible tragedy, but I don't remember a man, not him, but one of the attendees at this, this lecture. Maybe you met him too, Murray. He said that he was there in order to learn how to be a better ghost when he became one. I said, yeah. huh, what? You know. <laughs> so in any case, uh, Wiles was going, and I don't know if I, I can't believe I never told you this, but we always get talking about some fascinating political issue or something whenever we talk. Maybe this never came up. But this is, we were in a very, very old hotel. I believe it's the largest occupied wooden building in the country to this day. And uh, built by this, I can't remember his name, the guy who developed Florida and all. That's how old the place is. And uh, the rooms, a number of them are supposed to be haunted. And I was in one rather uh, forbidding, you know, large room by myself. And walking in there, I could immediately feel someone was in there. And oddly enough, the presence was usually kind of up by the ceiling. And, you know, spatially, these things can vary. It doesn't really make much difference. But uh, make a long story short, I uh, would meditate and put myself in a meditative state. I never try to contact anybody or anything deliberately because you don't know what it is. Uh, but you get, I had a good feeling about this guy, although it was a very negative situation. It turned out he – it took a while for him to communicate with me because he thought I was a ghost uh, or was spooked out by my presence. And I, I find that all the time. And he, from what he said, was a, a guy who had just was staying in the hotel. I didn't quite tell when, whether it was past or future, because that doesn't make any difference either. And he was contemplating suicide because his, his kids hated him. His wife was fooling around on him and everything had gone bad. He lost his job. You know, all the terrible things that are happening, unfortunately, to so many people today. Yeah. So we talked over the period of that weekend, and um, it, I believe I talked him out of committing suicide. And, and by the time I left that room, I felt that something had been accomplished there. It was much better feeling, and I think the guy realized he had to give it another try. And uh, it's, it's ironic they threw me out of the seminary because that's the sort of thing you'd think you'd be doing as a priest, right? Now, the last people I was going to tell what was happening were the people at this conference, you know, and, uh, you know, with the exception of yourself, because I guess everybody was off. They were all disappointed I wouldn't come with them on the final night to do the ghost hunt in the hotel. Yeah. Uh, I had explored the hotel on my own with one of the security people who said uh, there were always maintenance people walking on the, the floor that at the time was not being used. And everybody thought it was ghosts and aha, it was good for business. So whatever that may be. But 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 that uh, was a typical example of my experience. I just don't see these as spirits. Now, now there must be. Simply because in the multiverse, all things that can be conceived of must exist somewhere because you wouldn't know about them unless you, in some form of yourself, are experiencing them. So there have to be worlds in which there are, I suppose, what we would consider bodiless people. But we ourselves, I have a problem with the dualism there. I have a problem with us being complete human beings without our bodies or without our spirits or souls or whatever puny word you want to describe that great reality. I just have a problem with the dualism. Because everything in, in, that I've seen in the paranormal points to unification, not to division. So maybe I'm all around, but, but my experience has been... Uh, uh, maybe, as you said, maybe it's, it's my educational background, my kind of not the sort of thing everybody has for an education or an experience in working working with dying people in hospitals as a, as a seminarian or as a grad student in psychology, whatever. I just, that's the way I experience it. And Ben, um, 
so far has backed me up. But of course, we deal a lot with, as you say, parasites, which you would not define as ghosts, and I would agree with you. So I don't know. What say you about all this? Well, I think that you and I have reached, uh, at, we have observed the same thing, but I'm looking inside out, you're looking outside in, and we. Maybe that's it's it. just a matter of perspective, but um, I, I think there's far more for us to agree on than disagree, but. Um, I will tell you this, you're right on the money, and the thing that touched me deeply about what you just said about the conference and, and, and consulting with um, a spirit contemplating suicide, uh, my grandfather spent the last night of his life sharing my bedroom uh, before he, he took his life the next day, and um, my grandfather is one of the reasons why I became so interested in this subject, because he, he haunts the place where he died. And uh, many people have encountered him, and uh, he has identified himself by name, so there's no mistaking what what they're encountering. But um, oftentimes when I am communicating with him, I am often pleading with him. Not I'm always telling him, "Don't do it, Grandpa." Yeah. As if I can, as if I can prevent that which happened in 1963, and 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 I am still trying to talk him out of it. Well, and I'll tell you, I know Bernie. that sounds like a bizarre thing, but I honestly believe that on some levels it's it's possible to at least bring some sort of comfort and resolution and peace to spirit. Um, and, and so I, I continue to make the effort to try to prevent him from doing that, which he did in 63 when I was 10. I know exactly what you're saying, because two years before that, in 1961, I witnessed the suicide of my father. Oh, my God, Paul. I never that, knew that. Uh, that, I, I, I know. That. We, just, we just never got into it. But th- that that was was the origin of my interest in this and, and later on in the seminary. Well, you know what the problem was, too? Uh, we were very strict Roman Catholics. My brother was already in the seminary. The nuns were teaching us in school that if you ate a hot dog, never mind committed suicide, you know, a hot dog on Friday or something, it was a mortal sin and you're going to hell unless you go, you know, go get it. You know, <laughs> I'm sure you know the whole routine. Yeah. You're part yeah. Irish. <laughs> so... I mean, and, and I, I was in second grade, and were it not for my teacher that year, who was Sister Mary Joel, wonderful, wonderful woman, I don't think I would have gotten through it. My father in hell, this wonderful, caring man with whom I spent, because he, he, he had a heart trouble, and he was at home. In those days, they didn't know what they were doing, treating people for that. So he was home with me in times when that was very unusual for a father. And here it is, Father's Day, and uh, so perhaps it's appropriate to talk about it. But, but oddly enough... After that event, and I, the, they helped me get through it, the, the sister, the, especially Sister Joel, it was, we never had so much as a peep out of that house or that property. Everything was very peaceful. There was still a lot of love there. Wow. And in ensuing years, that's what got me going, the whole purgatory thing and, and, and seeing if that, was, and that wasn't it. And so... Um, I wanted to know where my father was, and, and that, that's what got me going in the paranormal. But we're coming up on another break, believe it or not. So, so we shift gears again. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Thursday is a power-packed day here on the sky. Join us at noon for the I'm Thankful Network. At 1 p.m., it's the Dr. Pat Show. At 4 p.m., Colette Baron-Reed takes the stage for the Colette Baron-Reed Show. The Colette Baron-Reed Show, where intuition, practical spirituality, great advice, a little woo-woo fun, and fabulosity meet. Colette Baron-Reed is an internationally renowned intuitive counselor, educator, and best-selling author who helps others recognize and connect with their own intuition, potential, and purpose. 
powerful motivational speaker, charismatic broadcast personality, and acclaimed performer, storyteller, and recording artist, Colette uses her extraordinary spiritual gifts to empower her clients to live a life that is awake and authentic, and to create a reality that is spiritual, deliberate, and meaningful. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. New Sky Radio. NewSkyRadio.com. New Horizons, no boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com. is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. NewSkyRadio.com. Believe. 
Well, welcome back, and I'm sorry to say we're in our last segment here, but we're having fascinating conversations both on the air and off the air. <laughs> Murray, uh, Ben, do you, did you have anything to add to what we've been saying? No, I'm good. During the Okay. If I have something to say, um, I'll say it. So, Mur- Murray, please uh, take the final words here and, and just uh, maybe sum up, and y- you explain my point of view better than I could, I think. Well, Paul, here's the thing um, that I wanted to say, um, because Ben originally asked me about what's going on down here in Savannah, and I wanted to say this. Um, I uh, encounter people every day who, in these difficult times, are lost and disillusioned. And no matter what direction they move, they only feel more lost. They're living in the wrong place with the wrong people and working at the wrong job, and something tells them that they were meant for more than this if they can only find it in another place with other people and working at other jobs. And, and these people visit Savannah for the first time and feel like they've come to that, they've come home to a place they've never been before. And it, it isn't a, a charming 18th century historic district they've discovered on a vacation. They've gotten in touch with their own spirit. And it is phenomenal the number of people who move here thinking that this is where they're supposed to be, not because their future is here, but because a past life was here that they did not complete. And it is phenomenal to me that these people, and they're typically women, that are looking for a new start in life. And they come to Savannah, and they very quickly find the house of their dreams, the job of their dreams, the man of their dreams. They find it here, and they hit the ground running in Savannah. And I've, I've met many of these people. In fact, I've helped many of them make this transition. And it is a truly a remarkable thing. But um, one of the stories that happened to me most recently was I was doing a book signing downtown, and I met two teachers from New Jersey. These are married women with children. They are teachers, and they were down here on a girls' weekend, never been here before, and they asked me, they said, Sir, uh, from an insider's point of view, what is the one thing that we should not miss while we're here? And I said, Ladies, what brought you here in the first place? And they said, Well, spirit. We're all about spirit. And I said, Well, in my opinion you should see the world-famous Bonaventure Cemetery, which is a Victorian cemetery that has been in use since 1850. It's built on the site of a colonial plantation on the banks of a river. It is the scene of the famous movie uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. And um, it is one of the few Victorian burial grounds in this country, and and it it is festooned with blooming azalea bushes and not to be missed in spring. The next day, these ladies came back to me to tell me that they had taken my advice and they had an uncommon experience, and, and they wanted to tell me all about it. And they proceeded to tell me that while they were walking around Bonaventure Cemetery, that they were approached by a guide who offered to show them around and explain to them the different sites and the monuments and so forth. And they spent about an hour with this gentleman, and then the gentleman conducted them to two graves where these women said that they were overcome with all of these feelings and emotions. And they, they became very disoriented. And they came to understand that they were standing at their own grave sites. And they automatically, they were just overwhelmed with all of the feelings that were rushing across at them as they stood at the graves of the people that they had been 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. And at, at, after this, this episode, the gentleman parted company with them, and, and, but before parting company, he said to them, listen, he said, I, I actually, I need your help. He said, I, I approached you under false pretenses. He said, I'm not a tour guide here. He said, 
I'm actually a minister. He said, and I need your help. He said, my daughter was murdered by her husband, who then committed suicide. And they are trapped in this plane, and, and, and I'm trying to help them cross over. They are trapped here, and they are suffering, and, and I need your help. And these women said to him, why are you asking us? We're school teachers. He said, no, no, you, you met a man recently who, who can help us. And they said, are you talking about the man who's signing books? And he said, yes. And so they came back to me to tell me the story. And I said, ladies, I've written a lot of stories in my time. That's a pretty good one. And they said, well, you haven't heard the rest of it. She said, as, as soon as this man made the request of us, he turned and, and he, uh, he walked away. He disappeared. <laughs> I mean, he didn't disappear around the corner or behind some trees. He vanished into thin air. Yeah. And the ladies came back to me and she said, we're bringing this back to you. And I said, well, um, I'm going to need some names. What did the man tell you his name was? And that of his daughter and her husband. And as it turned out, this is a minister who has been dead um, about 50 years. And uh, the, the woman in question, his daughter, was the wife of a prominent Savannah lawyer who about 100 years ago was, was going insane. And in the process, he murdered his wife and then committed suicide. And they are buried in Bonaventure Cemetery. Now, I wish that was the end of the story, but it isn't. And I hope I have time to finish it. Um, well, actually, I don't know, but I just want to say that I can verify that story because because those same ladies wrote to us and told well, us. I the told same. them to because I thought yeah. Paul, there were some issues that you could answer that I, I could not. But the long and the short of it is this: when they got back home to New Jersey, they continued to be visited by spirit who said to them, "Look, we're running out of time here. You need to get Murray Silver to do what he's going to do, or we're going to run out of time." Long story short, gentlemen, is that the, the ladies convinced me that I could go and I could actually uh, help spirit uh, cross over. So I went to Bonaventure Cemetery with two witnesses, one a psychic, the other uh, a journalist. I went to Bonaventure Cemetery, and I did certain things. I did certain things. Performed certain rituals, some of which I'd learned from the Hindu friends of mine, some from the Tibetan Buddhist monks of the Dalai Lama that I lived with for several years and worked with. I did certain things to help break the bonds of attachment. And so I got home that afternoon, and I emailed the two women back in New Jersey, and I said to them, I want you to now verify with spirit that I have done what they've asked me to do. I want you to tell me what rites I performed. I asked them ten specific questions. And Murray, I'm sorry. Day, we are flat out of time. I'm telling you because I can't wait to hear that. You're so not going to let me finish the story, Bob? Well, you better talk to the network because we have less than one minute before we're off the air. Well, I'm sure your your listeners will be sitting there waiting till the next time when we conclude the story. But, ladies and gentlemen, I swear to you by all that I hold sacred that it's true, and the answer will make you pee your pants. Okay. Well, we'll uh, we're going to get you right back on in a couple of weeks. But that's uh, – Murray, thank you very much. It's always a privilege to have you on the show, Indeed. and thank you very much. We'll talk to you very soon. We'll have you right back to finish that story. So many thank thanks, Joe. So many thanks to our producer, Brandon Jackson, and we'll see you next week, June 24th, when my dad and I will welcome back our old friend Dave Kane, whose family continues to receive communications by means of the number 41 from their 
son, okay. youngest victim of the Station Nightclub Fire, Rhode Island, in 2003. Okay, well, I guess that, that's it, folks. We're just out of time. We'll leave you with a quote for next week. That's it. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. We will see you next time. <laughs>